0: John V. Fleming is known to generations of Princetonians as a popular professor, an expert on the works of Jeffrey Chaucer, the head of a residential college, and late in his career a columnist for The Daily Princetonian. But Fleming's experiences at the university began before his time on the faculty, when the young Rhodes Scholar returned from England to pursue his PhD.
1: I'd had a good friend, Chuck Fish, who was a fellow Rhodes Scholar in my year, uh, who had gone home after two years, and he had come to the Princeton Graduate School. And he was so enthusiastic about this that uh, I I thought, well, I'll really look into this. Princeton had what they called, they advertised as a three-year program, which meant you could get your PhD in in three years, I thought, well, that on you know that sounds really great. It was on the basis of <laughs> almost trivial and uh, you know inconsequential uh, information like this that I applied. I applied late. Uh, these days, my application would never even be considered. But <clears throat> things were a lot more casual and in, informal in those days. They not merely admitted me, but they gave me a great uh, fellowship and uh, so I came and in a sense the rest is history because it was the perfect place for me. I here met my uh, great uh, teacher, D.W. Robertson, who then later would, for several years, was my, my senior uh, colleague. My graduate experience was something of a blur. That is, if you're doing two years work in one year, you don't do anything but work. Uh, I didn't have a room in the graduate college. I had to rent a room in town because of this late application. Uh, uh, that was on uh, Park Place, which is just, it's very near the Garden Theater, really is where it was, but it was a private house with an elderly a uh, couple with a marvelous Scottish lady who was the, uh, the landlady. I very much remember the cost. It was $11 a week. <clears throat> uh, quite a deal. Uh, I took my meals at a, at a boarding house that is no longer there anymore, but it's, it was down a two-lane uh, street. And uh, all I did was... Uh, work. My primary interest had always been in modern literature and American literature, but at Oxford I had to study uh, old and middle English medieval literature which was taught in a very dreary way actually but they did teach you the languages. Medieval literature is harder than a lot of other stuff simply because of the languages that are involved. Uh, Chaucer's language is difficult. O- Old English, meaning Beowulf and that kind of stuff, is impossible. That is, you have to be a student of early Germanic dialects before you can read read the language, so you have to do a lot of preparation. I also was drawn to, uh, oh, I don't know, a kind of romantic view of the Middle Ages when I was at Oxford because you're surrounded by old buildings, old churches, tombstones, all this kind of stuff. So I was kind of prepared that when I came to Princeton I then encountered this man D.W. Robertson who had a kind of completely revolutionary mind-blowing uh, approach uh, to the literature. So I, in a sense I was a convert when I came here. I, I could have gone any way, but the, after after about two seminar meetings with Robertson, I knew that this is what I wanted uh, to do. Uh, Robertson's method, which I've uh, been associated with in uh, in my lifetime, uh, was to uh, really try to study medieval literature within the context of the master literary paradigm of what I will call medieval Christian high culture, meaning serious theologians like St. Augustine and others. So I came to Chaucer thinking that, you know, like everybody else, he's a bawdy poet, light, uh, uh, what was it that uh, Matthew Arnold said of him, he lacked high seriousness and so on. So here was Robertson revolutionizing one's reading of of Chaucer, no, you're dealing with a very serious-minded Latin-based... Augustinian uh, theologian. Mm-hmm. There, there are not many undergraduate uh, departments of, of, of English in which medieval literature is a major component, but the Chaucer course has always been, always been pretty big here. And when I was teaching it, it had you know always had 100, 150. Sometimes it went up as high as 200 students. Um, and which is very, very big for, a, for a, a, a Chaucer course. So I felt that we had found a way, without, uh, w- without dumbing it down, because we, we did it in Middle English and so on, um, uh, that we had found a way of, of really uh, including this early literature uh, as a vital part of the department.
0: Fleming also found a vital role in campus life as one of the early masters of Wilson College, created as an alternative to the eating clubs. There was a real
1: effort being made to provide some kind of, let's uh, call it cultural diversity among the uh, social options for un- un- undergraduates. And uh, that is now marvelously, I think, been pretty well completed with the with the college system and so on. But Wilson was the, the first, uh, and uh, its original sign-ups, I mean, the people who wanted to belong to Wilson, wanted to belong to it because they didn't want to belong to things, if you see what I mean. So being the master of it was kind of like being the second vice president of the International Anarchists Association or something like that. <coughs> Uh, that was in the late 60s and I was there uh, for the revolutionary time, which I reckon is 68 through 72. Um, and the uh, strike, the the uh, bombing of uh, Cambodia, the uh, the Kent State Massacre and all that kind of thing. Um, and I'm a pretty politically conservative kind of guy. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not uh, cutting-age uh, uh, cultural uh, revolutionary or anything, uh, but uh, I was able to have um, a very good uh, uh, you know, relationship with the students in, in Wilson College, many of whom from that era have, uh, have remained friends. You know, now it's almost 50 years.
0: It was a turbulent time for all on campus, not just the students or the faculty members involved in Wilson College, particularly in the spring of 1970.
1: There was a strike. Students went on strike. Some faculty members went on strike. The uh, faculty participation in in the faculty meetings was so large that there was no way possible to have it in the faculty room in Nassau hall so i remember this this meeting in Makash ten and bob goheen was was trying to uh, do this He's sitting up on that stage uh, it was like a brecht play kind of or a check cuz there were all these thousands here and bob goheen and the color of the faculty up on the on the on the dais uh, and and uh, urgent issue. What are we going to do uh, about
0: Kent State. Early in the meeting reporters from the student radio station arrived demanding to broadcast the proceedings.
1: The discussion, which is already pretty pointy-headed and so forth, turns to the question of whether or not we ought to allow P- WPRB to come in. For the next hour this uh, and more this is the discussion. Well, we should, we shouldn't. you know. And I'll forget because uh, at last, uh, uh, Kuhn, Tom Kuhn raised his hand and was recognized by the president. And he said, Mr. President, I submit that if the next hour of this meeting is as stupid as the last hour of this meeting, the last thing in the world we want is to have it broadcast. You know, a, there, was, there, was, there was stuff like that. So, the, I mean, there's even humor in, the, in, in some of the heavy uh, stuff.
0: Fleming transferred to emeritus status in 2006 after four decades on the faculty and continues to live in Princeton, a few blocks from the campus.
1: For me, Princeton was the, was the uh, perfect uh, place and in a, way, in a way, it was better that I was not an, uh, an alumnus, that I, I mean, not an undergraduate alumnus, because uh, um, I, I, I became a Princetonian by adoption, in a sense, rather than by right. Uh, there, there are no institutions of higher education here or anywhere else, I think, that are static. They're either getting better or they're declining. And it's been my honor, really, during the 40 years I taught at Princeton, to have the feeling that we're always getting uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit
0: better. Our thanks to John B. Fleming for sharing his story. Brett Tomlinson produced this episode. The music is licensed from First Comm Music. We'll be recording oral history interviews with alumni at reunions, if you have a story to share, email us at paw@princeton.edu.